Hello. Naftali is here. Hi. It's time for the Naftali show. I had a hard time checking in. Hi, Mrs. Weissman. How are you? Okay. Naftali, I'm just putting something in the freezer. It's not working. I'm going to check right back in one second. Why is this not working?
guys. It's not working tonight. All right. Not sure what's wrong with my Zoom. All right. All right, this is a double Parsha, one of the longest Parshios uh, when you have the two of them together. It's really long, but there's a pretty, pretty, um, pretty packed. So actually, this Shabbos is also the first day of the nine days, the first day of uh, the month of Av, and um, the saddest week of the year, and this Parsha always falls out right around it, right before it, or right, right, right uh, during it. So, Barak Lamed Aleph, Pazik Aleph, Pazik Beis, it says, Nikom Nikmas B'nei Yisrael Me'es Hamidjanim Take vengeance, take revenge for the Jewish people from the Midianites. So all the commentators point out here, what the Midianites didn't hurt the Jews. All the Midianites did was they caused the Jews to sin. So the commentators say, you see from here that when you cause someone to do a sin, you are so responsible that you see in this war, they actually wage war about it. So um, before you cause someone to sin, um, you got to think a lot because it's, it's, it's basically as if you sinned yourself. And um, that especially comes up a lot with, let's say, this is even inadvertently. Let's say someone doesn't know that something's wrong and you know better. So you might think, well, if I do it, it's a big problem because I know what I'm doing. But that person doesn't really know. But no, uh, you, you can never... You, I'm not saying never, there's always exceptions, but as a rule, you don't, um, you got to be really careful not to, not to uh, assist or cause someone else to do something wrong. So they, they're going to wage war. Now, who goes out to war? Not Moshe. In the past, Moshe went out to wars. In this war, Moshe does not go. He he does a draft, a thousand uh representatives from each tribe with Penchas. So Penchas was going to be the general here. And the commentators focus on the, why is Penchas the general? Why not Moshe? In the past, Moshe was involved in the wars. So similarly to what we find in Egypt, with the first three plagues, Aaron, Moshe's brother, was the one who really got, got the ball rolling and they, the reason why it was, even though it was the right thing to do, but because Moshe had gratitude to the water and the land in Egypt. So here also, when Moshe was, I think, around 20 years old, he had to run away from Egypt because they were going to kill him. And where he fled to was the place called Midian. Now, Midian, mind you, did not really even know he was there. Maybe they know he was there, but they certainly didn't take care of him. They just 
tolerated this foreigner in their existence. So it really wasn't a very uh, big, it's like, let's say someone would go to New York City and stay there for six weeks, for, for a long time. You know, they, they don't necessarily, have, you know, they, they, they have a certain amount of appreciation, but it's not a very personal relationship. But here, Moshe, Hashem was t- telling Moshe, and I, I don't know where it came from, but Hashem told him, or or he he told Hashem that um, that it was uh, he he could not be the one to inflict a problem on uh, on the Midianites because he he had personally received from 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 them. The next thing it says is interesting. Is that usually when they, when you would have the representatives from the tribes, you'd have the prince leading the leading the pack. But here, the tribes did not have their prince lead them. And the Balaturim asked this question. He says, "Where are the princes?" And he says a fascinating thing. He says that Pinchas in last week's parsha killed the prince of the tribe of Shema which means there was a tribe that didn't yet have have a prince or they had a very new prince. And Moshe said this would be embarrassing for the tribe of Shimon. So what do they do? It was worth it to have none of the princes come to not embarrass the tribe of Shimon. Now, not only did they did not want to embarrass Shimon, but it would be a really not good battle plan because if you have your leader, right, your, you know, when, when, when uh, troops go to war, you, you know, you have your team that you've been practicing with for years probably, and you have your commander, you have your general, you have your lieutenant. But here Moshe said, you know what? It's better that we be ill-prepared for war than to embarrass someone. And that's a lot of times... May, you know, we I, I don't think most people or almost anyone in their right mind embarrasses someone. Often when we might embarrass someone, it's because we feel it's, it's, it's what could we do? What, you know, there's going to be a big um, consequence if we don't embarrass the person. You just have to embarrass the person. And here you see that there was a big consequence here. They would lose a battle. But yet you don't embarrass other people. Even if there's so much that could be lost and and not so much to gain. Wow. Another thing it talks about in the parsha is the concept of promises. If you ever hang around, uh, you, know, uh, you know, certainly in the world of yeshivas, many other places as well, you hear this famous thing. It's kind of a joke. We used to say, everyone keeps talking about this guy, Billy Nader. Billy Nader. Yeah, it's kind of cousins with Morris Ion. And Billy Nader actually stands for Billy. That stands for it is. The word Billy means without. Nader is a promise. In Judaism, we are really, 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 really careful about what we say because a word is a word. And it's one of the most serious transgressions for a person to make a promise and not keep it. And it's complicated, uh, the law is, to actually know what qualifies the promise. Pretty much any time a person makes a serious commitment to something without stating that it's not a promise, it is a promise. So that's why um, 
traditionally, a lot of people will say when they make a commitment, it's not that they don't have their commitment, it's that they're trying to make it, you know, so it doesn't have it. If God forbid that they can't fulfill their commitment, they don't want to, besides not fulfilling the commitment, they don't want to have the extra problem of not doing their promise. But it's an amazing thing that the Torah says. The Torah, the wording it uses, it's really strong. It says that when a person makes a promise, it becomes just as prohibited as something God himself says. So let's say God said, don't eat pork. Well, if, if someone makes a promise that they are not going to use this cup. So the person who made the promise against this cup, it becomes like pork to them. It literally becomes like pork to them. And why did God do this? Because God wanted to show us how much we matter. And what we say matters, the same way the president of a country or the CEO of a big company, that what they say really we know. We see the consequences. Wars wars can be fought because of statements of people in, in, in positions of power. And the message that Hashem is giving us is that we are all we, we're all just as powerful as the next. There's no human who's less powerful than the other one. You know, in our world, we all have our, our world and the things that we can do that no one else can do. And what we do and what we say really, really matters. And that's the message of why our promises, because because just because I'm not the president of the United States or another country or a CEO of a big company doesn't mean that what, my, what, what I say is not as important. And that that's one of the messages, which I, every year we used to, my, one of my teachers, Rabbi Lipson, used to bring this out every year that a person has to realize how and then the person becomes a different person you know when, when you're when you when you value what you say and what you do you just do it differently okay now the jews are are poised to go into the land of israel and they know there's going to be a lot of battles and at this juncture right across from uh the, the transjordan Two and a half of the tribes, tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gud, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, they go and they go over to Moshe. They say, you know what? We got a lot of cattle. We got a lot of sheep. We don't want to go to Israel. We're going to stay here. Moshe's like, what? They say, don't worry. We're not being lazy. We're going to help out. And... They say that, you know what, we will take care of our cows and we'll take care of our family and then we'll go fight. Moshe, when, you know, he's not so excited about it, but he does acquiesce and he says, okay, you have permission to stay, but so after you take care of your family and take care of your animals. All the commentaries point out, Ksav Seifer, we've asked the question, Tzedekah Kayim points out this question, everyone points out the question, but we're going to say their answers, that why does Moshe repeat back to them in a reverse order? They say to Moshe, we're going to take care of our animals and then our families. Moshe spits it back to them and says, okay, so go take care of your family and take care of your animals. And Moshe was teaching them priorities. He said, what kind of business is this? You, you got to take care of your money. In those days, was synonymous with money 
was uh, cattle. That was a big money, big sign of wealth, how much you had. And he was saying that you you got to make sure you have priorities. You got to take care of your family before you take care of your money. And the Ksav Sofer points out over here, he says, if you notice, and Moshe says it back to them, he says, make sure you keep your word. Now, they just said they're going to keep their word. And they just discussed this whole thing about keeping their word. And Moshe adds in at the end, like this one jabber, he, he, he adds in, make sure you keep your word. The Ksav Sofer says, you know what? Because if a person's priorities are not straight, even if your your really intentions are good and you're doing good things, you you, you can you can never really trust such a person or trust yourself as long as your priorities are not are not straight. So therefore, even though they were committing, since he saw their priorities were a little bit off, he um, he was concerned about them, you know, forgetting and not keeping their word. Absalaka Kohen says that what is so um, hard about dealing with money that it could often, um, you know, uh, blind our priorities and skew them and we get so nervous about it or we can get so into money. He says, because money is unique in that it's, for all intents and purposes, it's endless. When it comes to food, there's only, so, even if you're going to be the absolute biggest glutton in the world, you go to the hot dog eating contest. No one's having 500 hot dogs, right? You have people, God forbid, who are into inappropriate uh, relations. There's a finite amount. It's just not happening. When it comes to money, the it says King Solomon said, Oh, hey, Kesef, lo yispa Kesef. You love money, you're never going to be satisfied because there really is millions and billions and a person, connect, depending on your attitude, can never feel like they have enough. And uh, that really uh, it's, it's applies today, it applies to everyone. We always have to be mindful that money is not blinding us when we're making our decisions and we keep, uh, and it's not just money, you no know, prestige and money and all those kind of things. Okay, now, so fine, the Jews are coming to battle. So the five Midianite kings come out and you have Bilam there too. And you have Pinchas and the 12,000 soldiers. And the Torah lists the princes. Where does it say the princes are? It says there was a prince named, a Midianite prince, a king really, named Tzor. Tzor. Now, the name Tzor might sound a little bit familiar. Is that the princess who enticed the prince of the tribe of Shimon, what it was his daughter, Kuzbi Bas Tzor. So, which means that, especially in those days, this man, this king, allowed his daughter to engage in this tremendous activity, horrible, horrible activity. Probably even encouraged her. And he was considered the greatest, most prestigious Midianite king. And in this week's Parsha, when it lists the kings, the princes, it lists Tzor as number three. So the commentators note, note this. If he's really the most prestigious, why he's listed number three? So they say that because he did this dastardly act, 
we he he gets listed number three. So the commentators ask, and they say, you know what? You think Sora cares? You think ever Sora is ever even gonna know? Sora never looked at Torah in his life. How is this a punishment to Tzor? And there's a similar question we have in other places in the Torah. For example, in Parshish Chai Sarah, you have the story of Ephron. Ephron was the one who owned in, uh, the, the, uh, the, the double cave, the place where uh, the patriarchs and the matriarchs are buried, Baris and Machpelah. And he's a big talker, he's a swindler, and the Torah leaves out a letter in his name. Ephron, it takes out the love. Rashi says, because this is a punishment to Ephron. The guy would say, you know, what kind of punishment is that? You know, for someone who learns Torah and they see it, oh, it's like a shtach. But, so I saw it my friend, says a really nice explanation, and I don't, I don't see him quote it from anybody. Perhaps it's his own. He said that, you know what? The question's a mistake. Because Tzor and Ephron are going to go to the next world. I don't know what it's going to look like for them, but they do go to the next world. They do die. And they do have a soul, and they do see. Now, just because in this little slice of life, Ephron and Sor are not going to see it, they're going to see it forever and ever and ever. And that is a uh, just another reminder. The Torah gives us the many, many times the Torah gives us reminders that this world is far from everything. Sam Sofer was once overheard saying, "He know he's wondering." If anyone ever fulfilled a particular commandment properly, he was overheard saying that. Now, most people, if you'd overhear a great rabbi woeing about uh, a, a, a commandment that no one fills, so maybe you would think it's kibbut avayim, honoring your parents. Maybe it's lashon hara. Maybe it's um, you know not not having proper uh, concentration. But the Chazam Sofer was actually referring to a line in this week's Parsha. And it's something which in my life comes up a lot. It's, it's the idea of Yisem Nikim Me Hashem Umi A person needs to make sure they're clean, squeaky clean, from Me Hashem, between you and God. And even if you're clean from God, even though God would know you're not doing anything wrong, but you have to act in a way that even people, even other Jews, would not think you're doing something wrong. And says the Chazam Sofer that it's actually a very hard thing because God is forgiving. God is very understanding. God is all-knowing. People are not as forgiving as God. People aren't as knowledgeable as God. And therefore, to make yourself clean from God, in certain sense, that could be easier. Because you just, with people, though, to make it that people think that you're above reproach, that's a really hard thing to do. And in fact, the Rambam tells us this. If you look in the laws of Chil Hashem, one of the big, one of the best and worst things a person could do is sanctify God's name or desecrate God's name. One of the ways that a person can desecrate or sanctify God's name is how if you represent God. The Rambam says, a Talmud Chacham, great rabbi, if he, let's say, goes about his daily affairs and business or in dragging people, and even if he does nothing wrong, but people don't have a good taste from it, 
they don't they don't feel the rabbi is acting properly, says the Rambam, that's a chil Hashem. And the vice versa, if people see someone who represents God, a great great rabbi, great rabbi and, and act appropriately, they sanctify God's name. Even if it's something that's not wrong. So the Chavetz Chaim's son one time was going somewhere, the Chavetz Chaim told his son to act a certain way, and the Chavetz Chaim's son said, well, I'm not a great rabbi. The Chavetz Chaim said, for this year, rabbi. And the truth is that in our day and age, really, anyone who represents the way they carry themselves as someone who is observant and really represents the way that, that God uh, told us to run our lives in, in a noticeable fashion. So if you wear yarmulke, right, you dress in the way that, that traditionally people wear, if you're a woman, if you're a man, at that point, even if you don't know anything, but you choose to, to, to carry yourself that way, you have the law of a rabbi. And the words of the Rambam apply to us. So today's day and age where that's for sure true. People have no idea who's really knowledgeable and who's not. They have no idea. You all look the same, right? You go to Lakewood, New Jersey, you got 100,000 people. I'm sure a lot of them are very knowledgeable, but I'm sure many of them are not so knowledgeable. But no one knows. No one's giving anyone a test. Rabbi Gibber, when we come to yeshiva here, every year he says in the orientation, he says, if you signed up to be in the yeshiva, then you are just as on display as I am. And that's the, we know that's the way the world works. We know that that's the way it works with Israel. We know that's the way, you know, if, if a Jew ever does something wrong, the media finds it. Because, and, you know, yes, things should be fair, but the reality is they're not fair. Because people do hold us to a higher standard, and to some degree, appropriately so. Now, it's, it's when it's unfair, you know, okay, so we, we can advocate. But the concept is true, because you do expect more from someone who is representing God. And that's something that really, really, really comes up a lot. A lot of times, like, yeah, what's the problem? Well, you know, you know, would everyone mind their own business? You know, well, you see from the Torah, that's not true. We can't expect people to uh, to mind their own business. That That's their issue. But our issue is to do things that wouldn't uh, be hard for them to uh, swallow. Two more points. It says... This week's parsha for the third and only time. Now, obviously, like any time Moshe is quoted as doing something wrong, it's you probably wouldn't even notice it. It says for the third time that to some degree Moshe had a little bit of anger. Now, I'm sure his anger looked like most of ours sweet talk. But on his level, it was a little lack of anger. And each time that he had this little lapse there was a direct consequence and this time was no different and because he had this little lapse he forgot some laws and the Talmud talks about how what besides all the horrible things about anger is that actually causes you to make very dumb decisions and it actually causes you to forget. You forget yourself. And in fact, uh, it says in the Perkyavos, one of the 48 ways to wisdom is, is to not have a lot of anger. Now, what does anger have to do with wisdom? You can be a genius and be angry. 
He says, no, because you could be the biggest genius in the world. But when you're angry, you can do some pretty dumb things because you forget. And that's the lesson the Torah is teaching us. When the Torah shows us that Moshe had a little teeny, teeny bit of anger, the response was he forgot. And Moshe had a good memory. Moshe knew everything. Lastly, so the, uh, in the second, uh, one of the things done in this parsha is it lists the camps, all the stops the Jewish people had in the desert. And one of them is a place called Kadesh. Now, Kadesh is very apropos right now because Kadesh was where the story of the spies took place. The story of the spies took place 3,333 years ago in about a week. It happened on Tisha B'Av. Now, in this week's Parsha, it does not call it Kadesh. It calls it Risma. Now, Rashi points out that Risma is referring to a certain type of firewood. It's a unique type of wood. What's unique about the Risma wood? What's unique about the Risma wood is that it the coal, the outside can stay cool, and the inside is burning hot. So you can pick up this piece of wood, and you would think it's a dead, nothing hot, and you could have a fire burst out. And what was the big sin of the 12 tribes? It was Lashon Hara. It was talking not nicely about the land of Israel, and that idea of talking not nicely. And this was the message with the Rissima wood. Is that sometimes we think, ah, what's a little gossip? What's a little evil talk? Not a big deal. But says the Torah, it's like a Rissima wood. is a burning hot coal inside. Don't be fooled by the outside. Um, and that's something which this time of year we put extra emphasis on as we get closer to Tishabu. So quick review. We talked about how I am responsible if, if what I do causes someone else to sin. We talked about how Moshe had to have so much gratitude that even though the Midianites were worthy of being killed, he couldn't be the one to instigate it because he had he had um, appreciation to them. Um, the Balaturim points out that how careful they were to not embarrassed the tribe of Shimon. They even messed up their war effort by not inviting any of the princes to, to not embarrass the tribe of Shimon that didn't have theirs. We see how amazingly important and powerful we are as our words, once we say them, become as God gives them the power of his words. We see a person has to have a priority straight. They shouldn't allow their money or prestige endeavors to cloud their vision, um, uh, certainly over priorities, family and friends and other things. We saw how the king Tzor was punished by having his name demoted in the Torah, which he only would see in the world to come. And we always have to learn about the world to come. Sam Seifer points out to us how hard is it. So we have to be so careful of making sure that when other people shouldn't think we're doing things wrong. Now, sometimes you can't help it. You know, that, that's God's problem. But to make take pains and do whatever you can do to, um, to avoid that. We talked about the dangers of anger, specifically the danger of anger that it causes you to causes us to forget things. 
And lastly, the tremendous uh, 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 this fact that a person could be deceived so easily with Lashon Hara to think it's harmless, and really it is, uh, it's far... It's far from harmless. On the inside, there's a coal. All right. Have a good Shabbos. Thanks for coming on. Shabbos. You have a quiet Shabbos this Shabbos? Uh, no, not so quiet. Are the Yitzchak's back at Yeshiva? He doesn't come home this Shabbos. Uh, he might. He might. Oh, really? All right. So I'm actually going to try to deal with that now. He's deciding. Oh, okay. Decisions, decisions. All right.
Back, and got me to that rough state that I was in. Get this patriotic DAV blanket when you call and give just $19 a month as a reminder of the sacrifice our nation's greatest heroes have made for you. If I can what I've been through, that's a grand opportunity in DAV to really make a difference in the lives of many of these veterans. Just $19 a month, only 63 cents a day helps disabled veterans get the support and services they urgently need right now. Please join me in making sure this vital support never stops by calling now or donating at helpdav.org. Thank you. Showing appreciation with a perfect promotional item is a meaningful gesture that can be touched, held, and enjoyed. For Imprint can help your logo create moments that matter. Explore thousands of promotional products at forimprint.com. For Imprint, for certain. I'm here to tell you about saving money on your cellular service. All right, here we have cups of coffee from the same pot. These are more expensive. This one, just a buck. Which would you buy? It's simple, right? That's why thousands of people have switched to Pure Talk. They use the same network as the larger providers. That's right, the same network for much less. With plans at $30 a month for unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data. Look at these stats. The average family saves over $70 a month by switching to Pure Talk. And they get to keep the same phone and same phone number with no contract, no hassle, and no hidden fees. You get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data for just $30 a month. And remember, you'll get the same number of bars because it's on the same network as the larger providers. Saving is easy. Dial pound 250 and say 50% to save 50% off your first month. Pure Talk. Simply smarter wireless. Could you use more energy? New Total Beats from Force Factor help deliver heart-healthy energy, support blood pressure, and improve circulation with nitric oxide-boosting nitrates. Great-tasting Total Beats, our number one cardiovascular health brand. Rush to Walmart for Total Beats. 
I used to have to go in to the auto parts store. Pay too much, never find quite what I'm looking for. Now I just go online, rock out overseas. All the parts my car will ever need. Lower prices, more parts, more brands. It's so easy to find the right parts fast. All the parts your car will ever need. Rock auto, all the parts your car will ever need. Rock auto, come. Folks, listen, there is no question that crime is surging in major cities across the nation. We all see it with our own eyes. Even CNN. Yes, CNN believes this could be the Democrats, quote, kryptonite in 2022. The left's call to fund the police correlates with this rapid rise in crime, with major cities seeing a 33% increase in homicides last year as compared to the prior year. Think about this. 63 of the 66 largest police jurisdictions have seen increases in at least one category of violent crime in 2020. And recent Washington Post ABC poll shows that the Biden White House has every reason to worry. Only 38% approve of Biden's handling of crime, while 48% disapprove. They also found that 55% believe an increase in funding for police departments would reduce crime. I just have a hard time even watching this video with the kids there. No regard for human life people have anymore, all right? This is an increase, all right? Not a decrease of funding as the left is constantly pushing. So as the Marxists in Congress, along with their Looney Tune voter base, continue to call for the defunding of law enforcement in swing districts where the House majority will be decided, voters are far less supportive of the defund the police move. Defund the police. It's ridiculous. Joining me now is Democrat political strategist and author of the book, the end of democracy. Doug Schoen is with us. Doug, it is ridiculous. Isn't it defund the police? It's beyond ridiculous. It is dangerous, substantively dangerous, politically. It's wrong on the merits. It's wrong in every way I can think about. I'm embarrassed that there are people in my party, and yes, still my party, that would seriously talk about defunding the police. So I think Insaner heads are realizing that this is a very, very bad strategy for the party. You know, uh, Rashida Tlaib, earlier in the program, we played a soundbite of her saying she wants to defund DHS. DHS runs all kinds of agencies. That's like the Queen Mary if you fund the police. Um, And then you add in CNN now saying it's going to be kryptonite. Are you surprised that some of the what I would call leftist media like CNN is now seeing this with open eyes? You know, Grant, in the midterm elections, we are going to see the crime issue as a central one. It was a central one in 2020, and it was what reduced the Democratic majority in the House, putting that within reach for the Republicans, and makes the Senate potentially vulnerable as well in 2022. So I think there's a lot of evidence that defund the police is a losing political strategy. Fortunately, in New York, we elected a mayor who is a former policeman who wants more funding for police, not less. Yeah, uh, we shall see how his campaign goes. Uh, Certainly, New York City needs more police and really just the ability for police there to do their jobs. Doug Schoen, thank you for having the program as always. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. Absolutely. And that is a huge problem. You've got the issue of defunding the police, but you also have the issue they're just they're handcuffed themselves. 
And they've got to be able to go arrest bad guys. That's the bottom line. Now, leave it to Democrats to target gun manufacturers. Well, all this is going on, right? They target gun manufacturers rather than violent thugs who purposefully break the law. The failed governor of New York is declaring a disaster emergency on gun violence, signing a bill that opens the door for anyone to take legal action against gun manufacturers. Look at that arrogant man on your screen. And you know what their argument is for this? They claim that the firearms create, quote, a public nuisance. How about the people pulling the trigger? Even if the gun manufacturer never intended to cause harm to the public, now they're saying they could be sued. And just to show how out of touch King Cuomo is from reality, listen to this. Treat it like a public health issue. We know how to deal with an epidemic. What we want to say is we want to do with gun violence what we just did with COVID. That's what we want. Is that an admission? What he did to COVID? Kill gun manufacturers like he killed those in nursing homes? Put gun manufacturers out of business like he did to the tens of thousands of small business owners in New York and beyond? The reality is Governor Cuomo of New York is the public health issue and he needs to go. All right, stick around. Biden gas coming up next. They're doozies today. Closed captioning brought to you by Pray.com, the number one app for daily prayer and bedtime Bible stories. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. Download the Pray.com app today. If your vehicle's manufacturer warranty is expired or is about to run out, you'll be on the hook for unexpected repairs. Breakdowns used to mean paying thousands out of pocket. Until now. Introducing Endurance Advantage, a vehicle protection plan with extensive breakdown coverage plus routine maintenance. As a mechanic, I see it all the time. The customer doesn't keep up with their regular maintenance and it leads to a breakdown or worse, disqualifies the warranty. No matter how many miles your car has, if it's under 20 years old, Endurance has you covered. That means insurance plus Endurance equals total protection. From oil and filter changes to brake pad and wiper blade replacements, Advantage provides maintenance coverage up to $3,500 per year. With Endurance Advantage, you'll never worry about paying for covered auto repairs or regular maintenance again. Call 800-521-6681 for a free quote. That's 800-521-6681. One of my favorite supplements is Cunol Turmeric. Turmeric helps with healthy joints and inflammation support. Unlike regular turmeric supplements, Cunol Superior Absorption helps me get the full benefits of turmeric. The brand I trust is Cunol. Stay tuned to get two tack pens free. You heard that right. Free. Everybody has a flashlight, but can your flashlight fit in your pocket, light up the night super bright, and even save your life in an emergency? This one can. Nick Bolton here to tell you about the newest tack light innovation, the Bell & Howell Tack Pen. That's right. We made a tack light the size of a pen, yet without sacrificing any features. Visible at the two nautical miles away. Has a disorienting defensive scroll. Zooms in to focus its beam wherever you want. And won't quit even in the most bitter cold or extreme heat. And yes, it survived getting run over by my Humvee. Try that with a regular flashlight. Because it's so slim, it's easy to take with you. It has a few new features you'll love. 
like an emergency escape tool that can shatter glass. It even has a built-in multi-tool for quick fixes. And oh yeah, it's actually a working pen. So let's review. The Bell & Howell Tack Pen has all the great features of our Tack Life. The same durability you've come to expect, clips to your pockets so you can take it anywhere, can help you make quick repairs or break a window in an emergency. It even functions like a regular pen. There's just nothing like it on the market today. Act now to get your Bell & Howell Tack Pen for just $19.99. Tack Pen is the only working pen and super bright tack light featuring zoom and defensive strobe functions. Plus, it features genuine Bell & Howell craftsmanship, backed by our 10-year warranty. Order today and you can get two additional tack pens absolutely free. That's right. For a limited time only, you can get three tack pens for one low price. Just $19.99. Get yours today. To order, call 1-800-957-0056 or go to buytechpen.com. That's 1-800-957-0056 or you can order online at buytechpen.com. Imagine being free from the pain normal exercise can cause. Introducing the Teeter Free Step, featuring patented stride technology licensed from commercial physical therapy equipment. Free Step is the only home use stepper with this unique gentle linear motion, delivering the best in low impact exercise. It's almost like the machines that I had at physical therapy. 93% of users surveyed reported the Free Step was easier on their knees and back than other cardio options. I can get a full body workout and not be in pain while I'm doing it. Go to tryfreestep.com now. Going to re, re, relocate. We're going to be, begin relocation flights for Afghanistan SIV applicants. Half have exercised their right to do that. Half have gotten on aircraft and come commercial flights and come. Another half believe they want to stay. We went for two reasons: one, to bring Osama bin Laden to the gates of hell. Osama bin Laden gets to hell. He didn't even want to do that raid. That poor man is out to lunch. God, like this. Let's go do it for us tonight on Stinchfield. Sorry to leave you on that note. I guess it's somewhat comedy. See you tomorrow night, Eastern. Tonight, all that money that parents spend on their kids' college education just to have them come out brainwashed by some of the country's most hardcore liberals. To top it off, they also come out with crippling debt. We take a hard look at the value of a college education in Joe Biden's America. And then you've heard about anti-white critical race theory forced on kids in the public schools that you pay for. Now there's a push to force our troops to learn this nonsense, too. And if they don't comply, our military may join police in being defunded. Plus, Biden's minions are hitting the leftist media to push for the invasion of your privacy with a door-to-door -door vaccine blitz. And tonight, they revealed their outrageous and unbelievable justification for the most in-your-face government assault on your rights in modern history. Cortez and Pellegrino starts right now. Welcome to Cortez and Pellegrino. I'm Steve Cortez. And I'm Jen Pellegrino. It is becoming increasingly clear that higher education 
is failing our kids and it's failing this country. That's right. And it's an expensive failure at that. Case in point, Georgetown University, which happens to be my alma mater. It was founded in 1789 by John Carroll, a deeply patriotic priest who became the first American Catholic bishop. He intended that his university would serve both God and country, educate new leaders for a new republic. Well, Bishop Carroll would not be very happy with the self-absorbed anti-American brats that his school now produces. Have a listen to some of them. Are you proud to be an American? No, I feel embarrassed to be an American every day. Uh, no, <laughs> be proud of what? And what is there to be proud about if you're Black and being, like, you know? The American dream is so sought after that it's not even a thing anymore. I don't even really think it's, there is an American dream really anymore. Wow. At one of the most selective schools in America. A couple of years ago, my alma mater, Georgetown, addressed the awful reality that the school owned hundreds of slaves in the 1800s. When confronted about this reality by a group of alumni, the school agreed to so-called reparations, payments from people who did nothing wrong, to people who were not themselves victims. What a great construct that is. What made the Georgetown move even worse was that they did it on the cheap, cheap wokeness. Look at how sorry we are. Here's a pittance to prove it. The school only agreed to raise $400,000 a year in scholarships for the descendants of those slaves. Please, if Georgetown truly believes that it's on the hook here, then let's make it real and let's make it hurt. Georgetown has a $1.8 billion endowment. It also sits on some of the most valuable real estate in all of America in the toniest neighborhood of our nation's capital. So instead of cheap wokeness, how about Georgetown hand over a big chunk of that endowment? and that campus. Now, before you assume that Georgetown's problems aren't your business, think about the massive subsidies that all taxpayers that you provide to higher education in America, private schools included. For example, in the most recent COVID relief bill, we taxpayers, we just handed Georgetown $9.3 million. In fact, we showered colleges all over America with money even though many of these institutions indoctrinate students with anti-American intellectual poison. We also handed Columbia University a huge check, over $18 million, even though it's the eighth wealthiest school in America already. Now, speaking of these Ivy League schools, a report in today's Wall Street Journal details just how badly these universities and others exploit students by pushing them into deep debt for degrees that are often worthless or nearly worthless. Recent Department of Education data reveal, reveals at Columbia that graduates of that school's prestigious graduate film program, they carry an average of $180,000 in debt. And that two years later, after graduating, after earning that master's degree, half of them are making $30,000 a year or less. So $180,000 in debt for a sub $30,000 salary. Okay. Columbia University President Lee Bollinger lamented, quote, this is not what we want it to be. You think? But don't worry about Bollinger. He's doing just fine. He makes millions of dollars a year living in a Manhattan school mansion that just had a $23 million renovation. If $23 million sounds lavish for a home remodel, consider that over a six-year period, we taxpayers paid a stunning 
$4.6 billion, billion with a B dollars, in grants and aid to Columbia University, as I mentioned, the eighth wealthiest school in America. America's colleges are largely cesspools of woke garbage masquerading as higher education. Schools like Georgetown and Columbia increasingly produce young people who hate our country. Look, fine, they can do what they want, but do it without our help and without our money. It's time to end federal payments and subsidies to these liberal colleges and to start taxing their massive endowments. It's time for us to reclaim the educational system in America. So let the America First platform into the 2022 elections include an agenda to fund the police and defund abusive higher education. Joining us now to weigh in is Jason Hill, professor at DePaul University and author of the book, We Have Overcome. Professor, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me, panel, Steve. It's wonderful to be back. I want to point to an interesting uh, poll that I gathered from Pew Research talking about college graduates and which way that they identify in terms of Democrat versus Republican. Uh, they did this poll in 1994 versus 2017. And in 94, you saw that 39% identified as Republicans, 27% Democrats. Flash forward to 17, 24% of them Republican, 35% Democrats. Now, not much of a difference if you look at the high school only educated folks. Uh, and there was a similar trend to what we see here with postgraduate education. To what would you attribute uh, this sudden, this shift over uh, a couple of decades? What's happening in these colleges? I think that the college professors, which I have been writing about for a long time, now over 21 years, have become more radicalized. I think that the social eugenics program that is part of the indoctrination system that Steve just talked about um, has become galvanized. I think what we're seeing is the weaponization of feelings of these students in the classroom, the push for Americophobia, the idea that the American dream is dead. I'm wearing my American flag as a proud immigrant turned American citizen because I want the patriots of this great republic of ours to come out and start a revolution against these woke supremacists. To answer your question, Jen, I think that professors have become radicalized by left-wing orthodoxy, by a government that was galvanized, I think, during the Obama administration to hate this country. They had permission to hate America. They had a foreign policy that uh, advocated uh, ap apologizing for American exceptionalism. We had a president that went abroad and, and, and apologized for the greatness of this country. And the, the American professoriate and the progressives have become more emboldened to preach hatred of America to tell students that the American dream is built on the back of white supremacy, but we're no longer a white supremacist country, that the American dream is something that they should be ashamed of and that the American dream is dead. So the social eugenics program, which is bent on re-socializing the sensibilities of our students, is working. Professor Hill, you know, after my introduction tonight, I don't think I'm going to get the nod from Georgetown University as alumnus of the year. Uh, but that's fine with me because these are such important issues that we have to fight regarding the finances. You know, I think a lot of Americans don't realize how much we taxpayers support higher education, including 
the private schools, and in some cases, particularly the private schools, because the Ivy Leagues, maybe not surprisingly, are better than most colleges at garnering those federal funds. And as a matter of fact, over a six-year period, the Ivy League in total, I talked about Columbia University, but in total, they got over $41 billion, with a B, in federal and government assistance, most of that coming from the federal government, $25 billion in direct payments from the federal government. That information all from Open the Books, which does great research. My question to you, Professor, should that money be at least cut, if not eliminated, given the way these institutions behave? I have said, I wrote an article three years ago where I called for the absolute complete defunding of all the social humanities, all the social, the social sciences and humanities, in fact, of all universities in this country, not just partial uh, cuts, completely funding, dismantling on the universities and building them up with conservative principles, with foundational principles on which this country was founded, on the, on the, the, the great foundational principles on which our republic was founded. I would say eliminate all funding of universities. The, the universities are, cess, are cesspools, they're, they're, they're garbage. The, the age of the university is over, first of all. They have become, um, bastions of indoctrination centers that become places for activism and, 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 and wokeism. And the idea, I've had classes taken away from me. I've had, I've been canceled so many times. I've had, um, I've been accused of teaching white supremacist thinkers. And I teach thinkers like John Stuart Mill, John Locke, um, 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 Aristotle, for example. The idea that the university is the purveyor or the disseminator of knowledge is over. I think we need to defund them completely. And we need our patriots and our alumni to rise up and fire these professors, get rid of them. There's no reason why taxpayers, in the same way that there's no reason why taxpayers should be funding abortion clinics. There's no reason why taxpayers should be funding people who are spreading hatred of this great republic of ours. Um, financing the republic that they themselves are working hard to maintain. Professor, there was an interesting uh, opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal, author R.R. Reno, why I stopped hiring Ivy League graduates. And the author says that today's elite students aren't going to schools led by courageous adults. They are deprived of good role models. They are less likely to mature into good leaders themselves. Uh, do you think it's time employers uh, look beyond just the, the education on that resume? I think so, but I think this is part of the problem in the sense that employers have been looked, have been encouraging great grubbing, what I call great grubbing, and have not been looking at something like civic mindedness and have not been looking at the sensibilities of students who come in as graduates with a kind of patriotism, a kind of what I call civic mindedness and a kind of love of country. And I think now that the chickens have come home to roost and employers realize that they are going to be employing what I call, and I make no, no bones about this, enemies of the state. And if you're an enemy of America, you're going to be an enemy of um, the institutions that are part and parcel of this country, finance, financial industries, the small businesses. So if you're an enemy of America, if you think America is horrible, you're, you're going to be employed. Your, your, your employee is going to be someone who is not going to be motivated or incentivized to be a good citizen of that company. So I think, yes, to answer your question, Jen, I think employers have got to be cautious and have got to vet 
their prospective employees very, very carefully to make sure that they're not coming in with these woke sensibilities and these anti-American and ultimately um, anti-financial um, uh, and anti-business, you know, anti let me just call it anti-capitalist sensibilities. Indeed. Well, Professor Jason Hill, thank you so much for your insight tonight. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you both.